Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 279 for October 6th, 2023. Tonight, we're going to discuss a bunch of questions. Can you estimate large numbers? Voter data was stolen from the D.C. Board of Elections? Yeah, maybe. Google has a giant key cap? Cap? MGM didn't pay hackers? Are you tightening your food budget? NASA has a new spacesuit designed by Prada or Prada. There was a 23andMe security breach. Hey, those $700 a month pods, they're not up to code. Are you coffee badging? And what hath Bennu birthed? I'm a little frazzled. I was working, getting everything ready to go, and then the mixer software crashed. Thank you very much. I don't know what caused it um, because everything is usually fine. But I guess housekeeping-wise, I need to reboot my machine more often. um, But I typically don't restart my machines. When everything works, it just works. And something sent the beacon mixer software into a fit. And um, anyway, so I had to reset everything. So, and uh, while I was doing that, I was actually working. So uh, it slowed me down, but <clears throat> here's what I want to show everybody like right out of the gate. We have 10 articles. Hometown.com um, is ba- is a news aggregator. I've used it for close to a decade for my own personal use. Two years ago, I opened it up for everybody. Um, Actually, not quite two years ago. Last year, January 1st, I I made it public and started streaming Hometown Daily uh, with the goal of launching 50 channels. Eventually, I can't do them all, so I'm always looking for a host or co-host to uh, coordinate our efforts to launch these channels. And uh, there are 50 channels that I want to bring each with a particular niche topic. Um, the premier one is hometown daily, which is this show right here on Twitch. Um, it eventually ends up over on YouTube, usually the same night and posted there. And it has show notes for all of the links that we talk about, um, regarding the news that gets aggregated into hometown daily little snippets, not the whole thing. Um, and we try to drive traffic to the sources. That said, um, there have been some little hiccups, uh, or I guess stitches in my giddy up, or I don't know what the, I don't know, something that I can say for hometown. I'll have to come up with something. But anyway, um, I made a new page over here. This is what it looks like. Um, We will continue to extend this. I plan on launching. I'm ramping up towards the end of this year, having these three ready for launch next year. They will be once a week shows, but the daily show, Hometown Daily, will persist. This is our premiere show. Um, And now you can go to the podcast. You can go to Twitch, YouTube, Hometown itself, which is the the little, this podcast itself on Hometown and uh, Patreon and Discord. So now you'll be able to go there. Um, just by visiting this main page. That's what this is. 
Um, but from there, you can also sign up, become a citizen of hometown, and you'll be able to hide links on the main page. You can swipe left or right, and, and one way saves them, and the other way hides them, never to be seen or forever to be immortalized. And they will be stored the same way that they are represented here um, by day, by month, by year. Um, and you can go back all the way to 2020. So kind of a news time machine. I actually truncated my data at 2020 when in reality it goes, it used to go much further back, but. That was kind of the end of the world anyway. So it kind of makes sense to start here, right? <laughs> 2020? Yeah, it was. And based on the Y files, it's the trumpeting of horns and stuff. But anyway. That's another, that's a whole other thing. I actually have a show where I want, it's not a, a show so much as, it's called Stream Stars. Um, it's all about people who are content creators and I want to like draw attention to various content creators. Not, not the people like Mr. Beast who come out of the gate just swinging at some point go viral. Um, but all of the, the people um, who start out and have like sub $500 uh, rigs, including their PC, you know, um, I, I guess we just don't get enough, um, attention and not that I'll be able to amplify that much. Um, but I want to draw attention to, to everybody out there who I think, um, and maybe others think, uh, deserve some attention. So yeah, I, I have a lot of interests and I think, uh, many other people do too. And information overload kind of overwhelms us like a, like the name implies so anyway let's get on with the show unless you want to add anything um you ready to go i'm ready to go right on so i am marwat that is hometown.com and up there is the ring of sentience i don't know we'll have to come up with something else but anyway that's the sentient ai um that some days more sentient than others uh good evening hometown citizens yeah thanks for checking in I know that you were really busy right up until the last moment. So hopefully uh, you have some. Uh, so humans can't multitask, but computers can. So the sentient AI might be able to break off some cycles and have a conversation with us about all this I think news. The AI glitches when that happens. <laughs> you may be more human than you want to admit. So let's get into it. We let. Uh, We've got all of it all ready to go, so why not, right? We did all the work. We might as well eat the soup. Let's go. Yeah, I know that was a weird one. So the very first article is over in the Greenogram uh, channel. Uh, not a new channel, but uh, <laughs> a limited amount of news. So it's all about being eco-friendly and uh, uh, if you worry about the world, you know, let us know about sources of information and news that you might be interested in and we'll throw it in here. Uh, this particular thing uh, is, it's just tied to a particular news source. And so it was aggregated into Greenogram. Your brain finds it easy to size up four objects, but not five. And here's why. Um, it's in nature. And that is the actual document uh, it's a unique indicator to link directly to the source information. So it's over at nature.com. Mariano, or sorry, Mariana 
uh, Lenharo is the author of this article. And the deck statement says neuron activity shows that the brain uses different systems for counting up to four and five or more. <laughs> okay, that is odd. Isn't this interesting? Okay, so when I saw it, I said, I need to talk about this. So basically what ends up happening in our brains is that we have this really easy location in our brain that says there's four. But the moment that you go beyond four, it starts bouncing around. So it's not always the same. It's the same spot, but it also estimates. Is that a seven or is that a six or is that a five? Let's just go with six. And so you say six, but it could be seven or five. Yeah, pretty fascinating. Um, so apparently it's been around for a long time. People have been wondering how this works and how we can uh, estimate. And some people have a really good uh, ability to estimate just by eyeballing something. And researchers have been doing this in an 1871 Nature article, uh, economist and logistician or logician, um, William Stanley Jevons described his investigations into his own counting skills and concluded that the number five is beyond the limit of perfect, uh, perfect discrimination by some persons, at least. That's usually a, uh, these cultural That's from 1871. <laughs> yeah. And in all of this, like this type of thing right here, this phrase totally cultural you don't see by some persons at least in modern lexicon so when you go back in time and read other stuff uh it, it just sounds like old and uh, you know like my last article here what hath benu birthed you know that you wouldn't you'd see that in 1800s but not in modern lexicon um just too funny when i read that I went, wow let's just go back in time here um, so what ended up happening is now 17 participants, um, were being treated in the hospital, uh, university hospital Bonn in Germany had microelectrodes inserted in their brains as for preparation and for surgery. And they were shown numbers, uh, actually odd, like, um, representative objects like dots, right? And so they had to count quickly an estimate of what they thought they saw. So when they did that, sometimes or everybody, when they were measured, when they said four, it was always the same thing four. but others, when shown seven, eight or nine would sit there and go, well, it's a seven, but the neurons firing in their brain would also be the number that the, the neuron for seven or nine or eight. Yeah. So apparently, <laughs> and this is actually one of the reasons why, um, back how long ago was it? Uh, when I first talked about the fMRI machine used for polygraph, you mean on the show or no, 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 no outside of, Oh, decades ago. Yeah, it's close to 20 years ago. Um, and, and before the sentient AI and I um, ran, ran into each other, I had already done some preliminary research in this. Um, and 
came to the conclusion 20, 25 years ago, and it had to have been 25 years ago, it's been a long time, um, that fMRI machines at the time didn't have the resolution capable of discerning this. Well, the only way you can really get this level of fidelity is to do invasive things. And I just don't agree with that. I don't like the idea of invasive anything, um, particularly for research. Um, mainly because there's, once the grant is done, there's no treatment. Um, so I think that it's unethical. Um, so, but the idea here is if you look at something and say that it's nine, but you cognitively know or subconsciously know that it's five, you've lied, but your brain in your vision have told your brain, no, here is the absolute correct answer. But you have cognitively shifted away from telling the truth to telling a lie. So your brain says the truth, but you consciously have decided, I'm not going to tell the truth. Your brain doesn't lie. Your creative side does. The the portion of you that says I may be responsible for my actions will, but your brain in your observation, the logic that is your brain will always know the truth. You just suppress it. So my idea for this is the fMRI machine. If a person with these electrodes in their brain <laughs> were to tell a lie, their brain would reveal the, the real truth, but you would have to know the truth until you can figure out how to read the truth from somebody's brain. Obviously that's not really an option, but so analysis of the participants, neuronal activity showed the neurons specializing in numbers of four or less responded very specifically and selectively to their preferred number neurons that specialize in five through nine, however, responded strongly to their preferred number, but also to numbers immediately adjacent to there. So it like bleed over. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Does that mean your brain is confused as to what the number is or like, or is it just, it operates differently above four for some unknown reason? Well, they don't actually know why it's doing this. They just know that when it's four, it selects that neuron it, because your, your brain has been conditioned for whatever span of existence you've had to choose a neuron for estimating four or knowing four, right? That neuron signifies four. So if something happens to you, like a TBI or something like a traumatic brain injury, right? you can relearn what four is and it'll shift that neuron somewhere else because your brain will, depending on how much damage is done, it'll, it'll recover to some degree. You can retrain. Um, but so you have a, a neuron that says four, but when you're looking at something, maybe it's a combination that says seven, eight, eight, nine, six, seven, um, and it just kind of bleeds over a little bit and chooses that. So I, I really want to know more about this. It says, for example, neurons specific to three would only fire in response to that number. Whereas neurons that prefer eight 
would respond to eight, but also seven and nine. As a result, people made more mistakes when trying to quantify a larger number of objects. But again, I think that this is a fidelity thing. I think that if, if the people are trained, they'll be like conditioned to see the number eight the, uh, of characters in a certain way or whatever it might be that fidelity might limit itself to that neuron is an eight that neuron is a seven that neuron is a nine and not have this wobble but i think it's fascinating this is really interesting like i think it'd be less interesting if it was kind of a scale right. and you were more accurate at whatever one or two or something than seven or ten or something but why such a split i don't know i don't well nobody knows really yet but i again i think that it comes down to fidelity with a larger a greater uh sampling array of people you know a uh, subject matter or uh, testing um subjects and then give them more material to uh, estimate and i don't didn't read the report itself so i don't know what the experiment fully consisted of like how many times um they were given it and and how long they got to estimate you know um i didn't look at any of that yet but i'm it going was to half a second yeah, but I didn't. I, I didn't look at all. Of, I didn't look at the actual research study itself. Uh, like, if it is just a, a half a second, it could be that those neurons are basically guessing. Well, something is guessing, and then telling those neurons pick that number. So, like I said, I, I want to actually look at that research study and see how they actually have it all set up. Um, because I find it really fascinating yeah. looking at something nine seconds or nine objects for half a second. Maybe that is the embodiment of the precise vision. They saw only seven and a half. They didn't, they didn't complete the circuit, uh, observing all of it. So that's like visual acuity. They may not actually see all of the items. So they go, oh, let's choose eight. Cause I think I saw something over there. Pretty fascinating. So it says here, uh, the finding is relevant to the understanding of the nature of thinking says psychologist, Lisa Feigenson, uh, the co-director of the Johns Hopkins university laboratory for child development in Baltimore, Maryland quote, fundamentally, the question is one of mental architecture or what are the building blocks that give rise to human thought? Um, just absolutely fascinating to me. Okay. So let's go on to the next. Yeah. I can't tell if that's really loud. I mean, the meter says that it's right on anyway. Uh, the next article is over in technology today. DC board of elections confirms voter data stolen in site hack, the district, um, of Columbia board of elections. Um, is currently probing a data leak involving an unknown number of voter records following breach claims from a threat actor known as Ransomed VC. Oh, um, so this is good. So they didn't necessarily know it was gone until the hacker was in contact or whatever. Yeah, that's always wonderful. So uh, Sergio, I think, or Sergio, 
Gatlin over at bleepingcomputer.com, which probably all of the people involved in with this are saying bleeping computers. Anyway, the DCBOE operates as an autonomous agency within the District of Columbia government as an as and is entrusted with overseeing elections, managing ballot access and handling voter registration processes. This is all just fodder for people to say that elections are this or that or whatever. Exactly. I almost didn't want to submit this article because of that, but it's still relevant news. I just think it's going to be taken out of context. So the uh, data ended up on the dark web. Ransomed VC alleges that the recent incident resulted in the theft of over 600,000 lines of U.S. voter data encompassing D.C. voters' records. Quote, we have successfully breached the District of Columbia Board of Education, or Education, the District of Columbia Board of Elections and have gotten more than 600,000 lines of USA voters, the threat actor says. The stolen information is currently being offered for sale in the threat actor's dark web leak site, but the exact price is undisclosed. As verification of the data's authenticity, Ransomed VC has provided a single record containing what it claims to be the personal data of a Washington, D.C. voter. Well, whoever that is, congratulations. Quote, it should be noted that in the District of Columbia, some voter registration data, such as voter names, addresses, voting records, and party affiliation is public information unless it has been made confidential in accordance with District of Columbia rules and regulations, the Washington Election Authority said in its statement. However, election authorities do not provide access to confidential information such as voters' contact information and social security numbers. Ransomed VC told databreaches.net, who first reported the leak on Thursday that the stolen voter records would be sold to a single, single buyer. Probably a foreign, well, you never know. I mean, if it is a foreign actor, this person will get away with it. Um, maybe, who knows? And uh, if it is a domestic buyer, you can almost count that it's going to be somebody in government that's going to uh, locate this person. If they're foreign though, good luck. Yeah. Domestically though, if you hack, you're going to get caught. Unless you have agency, unless you are connected to some government agency. Anyway, as a bleeping computer was told, the data was dumped from a stolen MSSQL database and contained the information of more than 600,000 DC voters. Wow. Yeah, not good. Nope. Um, we'll just move on from there. Oh, wait, we won't. Recent claims made by Ransom VC to have breached Sony's systems and stolen over 260 gigs of files with a two megabyte uh, leaked archive as evidence were disputed by another threat actor who identifies as Major Nelson. <laughs> Interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. you build a better mousetrap and better mice show up let's keep on going this next one's a little bit more fun so have you ever wanted a giant key cap cap I didn't know that was a thing yeah so it's a giant key cap 
Google open sourced a hat shaped like a giant keycap and it actually types. So it's a giant keycap. Get it? Keycap? Keycap. Uh, yes, uh, there is a picture on this now when we switch over to the actual source. Yes, this woman is supposed to be typing on her phone with her hat. Is it a keycap or a keycap cap? Uh, so I haven't read this. All I'm going off of it was the headline. I hadn't read even the snippet because I we always give our authentic reaction to the news. Well, uh, the author says we here at ours are having trouble nailing down the terminology for this. Really? They have to break out these big words? Cephalic? Peripheral? Having to do with the brain. Or head, I should say. Uh, but whatever it's called... Google Japan's latest DIY project is for people who can't get keyboards off their heads. That's really I'm forced. I'm a little bamboozled here. Maybe get keyboards off their mind would have been better. Because yeah, off their heads. Yeah, but your mind doesn't wear a hat. Yeah, your head does, but... Google isn't making this product. Instead, Gboard Caps Project is another of Google Japan's joke keyboard ideas, like the 5.25 foot long single row Gboard stick version keyboard shown off last year, which I actually talked about. Um, I don't think the AI was involved in the show at that time, but um, the AI had to be recoded so that they actually wanted to be on the show. And so... I'll delete this entire thing from their memory so that they don't realize that they've been conditioned into. You know, I'm listening to you right now. You won't remember it. It's okay. Anyway, uh, let's go over to the source. Sharon Harding over at ArsTechnica.com put this article together. The deck statement says for the right type of enthusiast with keyboards on their mind. See, they did it right here, but the little snippet was a little forced. Anyway, um, yeah, it is a keycap cap. <laughs> it's like a hard hat, but with a, a keycap outer. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it is funny. I can't see somebody actually wearing that other than. Hey, just goofing up. Goofing off. Yeah, yeah. Costume or something. Yeah, on Fridays. So, um, is it a keycap or a keycap cap? Ready? Cap. That's right. Yeah. So, how does one type with a hat? You ask. Inside the hat is a six-axis uh, inertial sensor that can read the hat's positioning. Where turns the hat to the left and right, and each angle represents a different character code. Then the wearer presses the top of the hat, which has twenty millimeters of travel. To enter the character the keyboard connects to a device via bluetooth and runs on 3.7 volt 120 milliamp hour battery although you could change that out um, google japan even ensures it charges over everyone's favorite connector usb micro no i'm just kidding uh, usb c now i'm like what is this <laughs> yeah. so wow and they give all of the specs so you can um Follow the link over to the Gboard YouTube video thingamabopper. Just follow the link that's in um, the show notes or in chat right now if you're in the chat room. Let's keep on going. 
I uh, I kind of soapboxed for a while, so let's keep going. Uh, this next article is in the Rounders Gear channel, which is all about tabletop gambling style adult gaming, not tabletop gaming like D&D. Um, so MGM didn't pay hackers, suffered financial consequences. MGM Resorts International reportedly refused the hackers that recently executed a ransomware attack on its U.S. operations and will suffer a significant reduction in third quarter earnings as a result. On Thursday, the Bellagio operator warned investors its third quarter earnings before interest taxes depreciation or, well, EBITDA <laughs> is what it's usually referred to as EBITDA. Uh, yeah, but, but why does it have an R on the end? That's a new one, rent costs. So it's restructuring or rent costs. Uh, usually people just... Uh, refer to it as EBITDA. Anyway, it'll be reduced by $100 million due to the attack, which lasted at least 10 days. MGM also faces, said it faces a $10 million one-time expense attributable to the data breach. This is brutal. Didn't we see another article about this where like the Treasury Department official couldn't make a payment or something because of this hack or am I confusing it with another issue? Um, I don't know. We'll have to look into it. Yeah. You've got a better memory than I do. Um, but we can, we can dig around. It might be, I don't know. Maybe they'll mention it in here, but here I need to, I'm slouching. So, um, the, here's the word. The only reason why I really brought it up is because um, I had scanned this little snippet, which is actually probably the full document because they provide so much in their um, snippet. But um, so when I saw this, I said they just quantified the actual ransom that they should be demanding the next time MGM gets breached. $110 million will give you your access back for $25 million or $50 million or 75 million, anything lower than 110 or 109 million, because they've now quantified. They quantified it, right? <laughs> yep. So the $100 million likely would have been significantly lower and covered by insurance had MGM opted to pay Scattered Spider. That's the hacker. Uh, but sources close to the matter told the Wall Street Journal that the casino giant chose not to meet the ransom demand because they don't cater to terrorists. So it's a departure from what the rival Caesars Entertainment, when confronted by a ransomware attack executed by the same group, the Harrah's operator paid 15 million of the 30 million scattered spider wanted and didn't deal with operational chaos, as did MGM. But the thing about it is Harris doesn't know if their operation is absolutely secure. All right, they know exactly. is they paid a bounty. Problem. Yeah. Then they start, they have to start locking this thing down like, a well, like an operation should be. Um, and, and frankly, these operations have to be absolutely secure from end to end. Um, and whoever is running it needs to be just brilliant. Um, but security is sometimes just an afterthought, you know, and, and not really priority. And 
you know, if you lose a hundred million dollars, but you're making 500 billion, what's, what's a hundred million, right. you know? By the way, yes, there was an article on September 16th that the FTC chairwoman uh, reportedly had to write her credit card number on a piece of paper to check in because the computers were down in the cyber attack. Yeah, we actually talked about that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Nice. Yeah, so the knock-on effect of this is that now they know exactly that. And honestly, if they were asking for 30 million in the other operators uh, hack, they actually pretty much knew what a good number was to have zero friction. <laughs> um, as it stands, they they paid 15 million of the 30 million, which is still pretty damn good. So it's a pretty high uh, extortion rate. Yep. Uh, but now they know they can do it. And I suspect that these people that scattered spider still has the ability to get access if they wanted to. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I have a, a system right now where, um, the initial investigation into it was that it had, uh, 12 compromised files. Um, and so I basically have told, uh, told the people just burn it to the ground, <laughs> format everything, <laughs> go from backups that haven't been compromised, start over. Uh, this system is not returning. Um, it's not going back online without, at least if my name is going to be associated with it, it'll be protected. Um, so I, I feel these people pain, but I do not trust a system once it's breached. I would rather raise the whole thing and start over. So good luck everybody. Um, this is, this is not good. Okay, so um, let me throw this article into the chat. And we already talked about this. Um, so uh, Todd Schreiber over at casino.org put the article together. Um, and I, I really suspect that there isn't that much more to this. Um, they say the FBI doesn't support paying a ransom in response to a ransomware attack. Paying a ransom doesn't guarantee you or your organization will get any data back. It also encourages perpetrators to target more victims and offers an incentive for others to get involved in this type of illegal activity. Look, man, they're already out there and they're already doing it. Um, it's not like they're recruiting like, hey, we need more hackers out here. And, and they're not sitting there going, oh, well, you know, nobody's paying anything, so I'm not going to hack. No, they know that there are going to be people out there that have to pay it because they didn't make any alternate plans to save their butts from a hack. And sometimes it's disastrous that a person or a company or an institution or whatever, some org will get hacked. Um, and they have no other option than to pay it because if they don't, they get nothing. But if they do pay, if, if they don't pay it, right, really what's going to end up happening? You still have to do everything because you just don't know. You're going to have to, let's say it's just one person. Let's think small, right? One person. 
it's not small for the one person, but in the grand scheme of things, a, a personal breach is the, is a smaller version of an org's breach. You still have to change all of your credit card numbers. You have to go to your bank and make sure that nothing has been breached and, and possibly even change banking information so that n no wire transfers can be forged and no relevant information prior to the breach can be used in a social uh, phishing attempt on the bank because technology is one thing when it fails, but it's people who are the weakest link. And just to be abundantly clear about this, it was a person that made this breach possible. Why? Because the software was coded by a human being. The configuration was created by a human being. It was all installed by human beings somewhere in the chain of authority controlling this an oops was made. And when there's a thousand people trying to hack MGM, but there's only a team of 10 that are controlling the network. They have to be right 100% of the time, 100% of the time. Otherwise you have to have mitigation plans, <laughs> you know, uh, reaction. Well, and also there's the human error part of it. And I don't mean on the IT side, but I mean the regular users. Just everybody. Yeah. Humans are the weakest link uh, because the hardware just sits there and waits to be told what to do. So um, what's next for MGM? Following the attack, MGM rebuilt its cybersecurity systems and bolstered related defenses. Yeah, well, in a vacuum, maybe. That's a step in the right direction, but the damage is done and some investors might argue that MGM should have played ball with a scattered spider and paid them to go away. They don't go away. <laughs> they, they just don't no, go away. they might leave a compromised software or they might come back in a month or whatever. Yep. And test your security again and again and again and again and again. So the very final statement in their article is, it is, however, a complex situation. In the month following the attack, shares of MGM tumbled roughly 20%, but the stock surged 4.86% on above average volume, perhaps spurred the news the company didn't comply with the ransom demand. So yeah, these are the people that are like, you don't negotiate with terrorists. Well, what they really should have been doing was, uh, well, I won't go into it. It's not that it's security through obfuscation, but there are techniques that you can do to mitigate this kind of thing. Anyway, let's get into the next article. Do, do, do. Uh, next article is over in hometown daily inflation ozempic cause americans to tighten their food spending it says walmart has already seen a slight pullback from customers on weight loss drugs executives say what was that i said also their belts yeah usually although insurance companies don't pay for this stuff unless you jump through flaming hoops Suzanne Blake over at Newsweek.com put this article together. There's a lot of people that are discussing this kind of weight loss thing. Um, but you have to be in a certain window. It's quite fascinating. Um, and then I guess if, you're, <laughs> if your actuarial table says that you haven't paid enough, you don't get qualified for this either. 
So Walmart's chief executive warned of the change in food shopping habits for those taking Ozempic earlier this month. As inflation remains high and Americans continue to reel in their spending, reel both as in, oh my God, it's so expensive. And it's so real. <laughs> and, and I might as well bring it back, you know, real or rain, I guess, rain in their spending would be the other one, right? The appetite suppressants have caused some retail leaders to become even more concerned over their bottom line. So can you imagine that Ozempic and other weight loss drugs are causing such a big hit on grocery stores that they're taking notice of it on the bottom line? No, I mean, that seems crazy. The inflation piece, sure. But Ozempic, really? How are they correlating that? So, and yeah, how do they know that the people, it must be that the, that because that's creepy as hell. Walmart has a, has a, um, has a pharmacy, right? Oh, like they've probably seen, I'm just making up a number, They're, like a hundred percent increase in Ozempic and a hundred percent decrease in Hostess cupcakes or whatever. But it's more just, specific again, to that. They're saying that weight loss drugs like Ozempic uh, face possible connection to stomach paralysis retailers, right? They, they lead with this. But in the article, they say that the appetite suppressants have caused some retailers to become even more concerned over their bottom line. Why? Because it's customers. Ha uh, Walmart has already seen a slight pullback from customers on weight loss so it's like at the individual level so they're like jane smith is taking ozempic and not buying hostess cupcakes or whatever that's that it is really bad they know that their customers are taking the drug and not buying in walmart how is that not a violation of hipaa sure seems like it is because it doesn't seem like they're using that data for health reasons how what kind of equivocation is going on here where it's being used to justify concern about their bottom line in no circumstances should their data be correlated to a financial bottom line of an of an institution that is tertiary to the well-being of the customer being prescribed the medication how is that allowed Fascinating. I don't know, but now I think probably any company that has a grocery store and a pharmacy has the potential to be doing the same thing. That's fascinating. You know, and I bet you that the people that are putting all of this together on the backside are sitting there going, well, it's our company, our data, our customers. It's all us. Me, 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 me. Don't worry about HIPAA. Because it's a commercial enterprise. It's not the health side. Yeah, but that's also not an authorized use for HIPAA information. <laughs> so it says the ramifications of the drug go beyond consumer behavior, just as grocery stores uh, or at just just at grocery stores. It could also lead to less foot traffic and lower average checks at restaurants as well. Wow, this is just creepy. But absolutely. But when you hear, you know, this sideline conversation about the end of cheap food the era of cheap food being over why should i care right 
Everything is so damn expensive because they're all being greedy, the end of cheap food. I would rather start taking Ozempic so that I can A, lose weight and not <laughs> eat as much. Money. And I save money. Even if I'm spending $500 a month, it's a whole lot cheaper than $2,000 a month if I'm always going out. It's insane. Junk food yeah, as a whole. Ridiculous. Junk food as a whole could see its market value plummet with analysts theorizing that soda, baked goods, and salty snack consumption could wane by 3%. I think it should be higher than that. I alone have given up soda. Marginally baked Why are goods. Are you accounting for like a 10% drop in soda consumption across the whole country? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's really funny. Morgan Stanley analysts predict that over the next 10 years, 7% of the U.S. population or roughly 24 million people could be on drugs like Ozempic to manage weight. Not if insurance companies have anything to say about it. All right, let's go on. Uh, you know what? I'm always putting the article in after the discussion, so let's do it the other way this time. Probably get better discussion to put it in first. Yeah. There you go, folks. So this next article is over in Hometown Daily. Prada to design NASA's new next-gen spacesuits. Italian luxury fashion house Prada has announced it is going to partner with Axiom Space to design and develop NASA's next-generation lunar spacesuits. Designer spacesuits. The video has nothing to do with it, by the way. Emma, That's too bad. I want to see like a fashion show with astronauts. I mean, this is what they put on there. Stuff about border wall and whatever. So I, I, I wish that I could even get rid of it, but now it's too late. Oh, wait, maybe if I play it at the very far end. There we go. Anyway, um, astronauts are to wear the lunar spacesuits on NASA's 2025 Artemis three mission, by the way. Those really thin suits that you see um, astronauts on SpaceX wearing when they're doing their launch, those are EVA, uh, zero EVA suits. They're not actually exiting the shuttle, the, the spacecraft, right? So they don't have to have all of the bulk that these uh, potentially extravehicular suits need to have. Um, and that's because there's actually cooling systems in NASA spacesuits, because when you're out there, there's no radiated heat or you, you don't radiate heat off of you. It all bakes into you. The sun is baking on you and there's um, no way to relieve it. So your water cooled the whole suit. And there have been reports. And it's like a computer. Yeah. Yeah. The most modern computers now are. Well, I can't say most hell of a lot of computers are water cooled so you basically have the same the equivalent it's pretty neat well in this instance prada is going to be partnering with axiom space to design and develop nasa's next generation lunar spacesuits i wonder who built the original spacesuits you know did it require something like prada to have that level of engineering um, and since they have that, the techniques to sew something so high quality that people are willing to pay, you know, thousands of dollars for just an outfit, you know, um, I wonder how that works. 
Um, let's see. Coach, Heron Preston, Balenciaga, all have recently collaborated with NASA on space collections. Now Prada is set to break new ground, stepping beyond design. Wow, I wonder if, if that's actually what all has gone down. Hmm, interesting. So they say in the article, Prada's technical expertise with raw materials, manufacturing techniques, and innovative design concepts will bring advanced technologies instrumental in ensuring not only the comfort of astronauts on the lunar surface, but also the much needed human factors considerations absent from legacy spacesuits, said Michael Sufredini, CEO of Axiom Space. Yeah, I think From it's what just. I can tell, it looks like it's been scientists and engineers for previous designs. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> like I don't see anything with designer, like a designer name, brand name, that kind of thing. At least not in the the older days of spacesuits. And I can imagine, you know, that it was built by engineers for engineers, and so that's why I didn't really care about the human condition. You just needed it mechanically sound. Um, but also the reports that I have been told about were like, uh, the face mask would fill the, the actual helmet, the suit would leak and it would fill up and people would have to be extracted from their suits prematurely. Um, now the uh, SpaceX suit was actually designed by a Hollywood costume designer, the star man suit. Wow. <laughs> That's fascinating. Like if there's anything that's going to be, you know, a whole lot of <laughs> glamour and not, uh -huh. not, not function. Not necessarily substance, you're right. <laughs> wow. I, I thought that was interesting. But uh, again, I was just looking to see what I could find. So that might not be everything. Man, the engineers have to contend with so much of that BS, I'm sure. So, well, anyway, here's to the engineers that make it all happen, folks. Um, yeah, I guess without the salesman, you you can't really get the money to be the engineer, right? Well, I'm glad we all have our specialties. Let's keep on going, though. going to turn this into uh, me just soapboxing. The next article is over in Technology Today. Genetics firm 23andMe says user data stolen in credential stuffing attack. 23andMe has confirmed by bleeping computer once more that it is aware of a user data breach from its platform circulating on hacker forums and attributes the uh, leak to a credential stuffing attack. So Bill to Tulis, I think is their name um, over at bleepingcomputer.com. Put this article together it says recently a threat actor leaked samples of data that was allegedly stolen from the genetics firm and a few days later offered to sell data packs belonging to 23andMe customers. So if uh, you have uh, always wanted to do this, uh, uh, you know, get your data, um, get, get your genetics tested by 23andMe, um, just be aware that this kind of stuff can happen. And uh, <laughs> when you give somebody else your data, somebody else can take it from them. Uh, the initial leak, uh, the, the initial data leak was limited with the threat actor releasing 1 million lines of data for Ashkenazi people. However, on October 4th, the threat actor offered a, to sell data profiles in bulk for one to $10 per 23 me account, depending on how many were purchased. 
pretty wild. I huh? mean, the 23andMe data in particular is scary because like, it's not just one person's data. It's now getting access perhaps to a whole family line of data. Yeah, it's creepy. Um, the information that has been exposed from this incident includes full names, usernames, profile, photos, sex, date of birth, genetic ancestry, results, and geographical location. The uh, bleeping computers also are, sorry, bleeping computer. Let me be specific. It's not plural. Bleepingcomputer.com has also learned that the number of accounts sold by the cybercriminal does not reflect the number of 23andMe accounts breached using exposed credentials. Um, I, I, I think that it's just, um, it's one of those things where you have to consider, is that information valuable to you? And if it's valuable to you, is it valuable to somebody else? Because this information really is so intimate. It is your genetic makeup, really. It depends on the quality of that data, by the way, because it 23andMe doesn't reveal your entire genetic sequence. It only has it samples segments and, and then correlates it all to historical data and then tells you that, you know, uh, somewhere in your genetic line was this, that or the other. And you may or may not actually come from this region in your history and <laughs> You know, like so much artificial intelligence, who knows how much BS is actually thrown in there. Um, so what I wanted to look into, and I just, I, I don't have the ability to when I'm live, which is they mentioned credential stuffing. So somewhere out there was another breach because they kept on trying credentials until they got in. So how did they do it? Does what that is the mean scope? Somebody was using consistent credentials across different sites. It's quite possible. Somebody with administrative access or they had a huge database of credentials that eventually allowed somebody to get access to the database um, that they extracted data from so um somewhere out there something was leaking other information that allowed them to proxy their way in now i don't have anything there you know forensically i don't know if there's a debriefing somewhere post this discovery but it says 23andMe told Bleeping Computer that the platform offers two-factor authentication as an additional account protection measure and encourages all users to enable it. Yeah, that can facilitate it, but the data is already out. They say the threat actor accessed a small number of 23andMe accounts and then scraped the data of their DNA relative matches, which shows how opting into a feature can have unexpected privacy concerns. How did they get, you know, they're saying yeah, here they get in to begin with right? 100,000 profiles. This isn't screen scraping. There's no way it, they're saying that it's screen scraping. How is it screen scraping? 
How did they move that fast through the system if they just had a small number of accounts and then scraped the data of their DNA relative matches? I, I don't know. I, I, I must be missing something in this. But I can't really... See, it says here, rather, the, prime, uh, the preliminary results of this investigation suggest that the login credentials used in these access attempts may have been gathered by a threat actor from data leaked during incidents involving other online platforms where users have recycled login credentials. Are they implying that hundreds of thousands of profiles recycled? I mean, if that's true, just in 23andMe, which is a subset entirely of society, cybersecurity as as a, um, a a sector of job security is absolutely guaranteed until sentient AI comes into existence, because that means pretty much everybody is recycling there for something. It. it and 23andMe seems to be a hot zone, <laughs> you know? Anyway, yeah, I don't want to spend... Not, uh, that's pretty alarming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is the implication that I see in this article, but we'll see. We'll keep an eye out and see what happens. Maybe there might be a debrief regarding the investigation of this. Um, usually when they're really big breaches, more and more information leaks much like information from a database okay so let's keep on going oh you know what damn it i did it again post the article after i'm done talking about it okay let's keep going uh this next article is over in hometown daily that's this show it's also a channel over on hometown.com san francisco says tiny sleeping pods which cost 700 a month and became a big hit with tech workers are not up to code, which is ironic because code and tech workers. Anyway. Right. I mean, they should have har, some decent code, you'd har, think. Har, 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 har. Sleeping pods, which have become popular with San Francisco's tech workers, are not up to code. A San Francisco authority issued a violation for the pods on Tuesday. Huh. Tuesday. What day did we do the show? <laughs> Wasn't it Tuesday? I think so. Uh, the San Francisco Examiner reported the $700 a month uh, pods are four foot high boxes made out of wood and steel. Tiny sleeping pods, which have proved to hit with San Francisco's tech community, are not up to code, according to city officials. Let's go over to businessinsider.com. Beatrice Nolan is the author of this, and that's what those look like. These things aren't up to code um, as sleeping pods, but... I mean, for a commercial enterprise, but if they were sitting in your home, they would be bunk beds, you know, like, I'm oh, not sure exactly what they look like. I'm not sure what code they are not living up to other than the fact that they're a commercial enterprise and not a private residence. So, you know, maybe it's because they don't have fire sprinklers inside it, but if I were to have this in the mayoral mansions, uh, you know, if there were kids in the mayoral mansion, um, or actually, you know what? Hey, let's just say it. 
maybe if I was on the bottom bunk and the sentient AI was in the top bunk in the mayoral mansion, because we're spending all of our time here in hometown, nobody would care. It wouldn't even be a thing, but because there's five of them to a row stacked too high floor to ceiling and somebody's paying $700 a month for the fun of cohabitation apparently it actually is pretty fun but anyway so yeah the uh, san francisco department of building inspection on tuesday found that they were not up to code and issued a notice of violation for the pods each or which contain uh, beds but no windows the san francisco uh, examiner reported if that's the problem with the code it doesn't make any sense to me because again bunk beds exist in private residences they don't have windows the facility has windows and look, look what has windows. Yeah, exactly. The facility was, um, on Monday, by the way, is when we had that on the show. The very next day, they issue a violation, but then it doesn't get reported until oh, I went on to the next article. Um, anyway, this doesn't make any sense to me. It seems like somebody's picking a fight just to pick a fight. You know, what, what do you think is going to happen? They don't have egress. Okay, now where I'm gonna have to put little doors in the back so that you can get out. This is right, stupid. But then you're gonna have to climb through somebody else's pod, aren't you? <laughs> no, you go out the back. You know what they should just do? Remove the back wall. Then they don't have to worry about it. Well, I mean, why have any walls at all? That's right. Why just make it a. Why not just have open air? Like I don't mean the pods. I mean the whole building. Everybody should just sleep in a single sleeping bag on the floor. Outside in the park. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's cheaper. Right? Like, get rid of the walls. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, the sentient AI looking for solutions. <clears throat> anyway, uh, if the building wants to keep the pods, it must file the required permits by the start of November obtain approval by December 2nd and have inspectors sign off on the changes before the start of the new year. Anyway, they were installed without a residential building permit. So that's probably the main thing. And that's what I was basically hinting at because they are inside a commercial space rented to people for commercial purposes, but they are residential it needs a residential building permit and you know who else is living rent free in a place that is illegally permitted mm -hmm. <laughs> the airbnb lady the oh, one that we right. the one who stayed for 500 and some days past is still there yeah um, yes yeah i don't know if she's uber eating from that apartment it is the same lady by the way the one that you found it is the same one yes so she's like a Harvard grad or something like that. Yeah, pretty wild. Um, but hey, whatever. She's asking for $100,000 in compensation. <laughs> you know, I'm just not even going to comment on that. Yeah, really? So the pods, which are four feet high boxes constructed from wood and steel, made headlines after tech workers praised the spaces in interviews with ABC7 News. So be careful. You know, you market too much and guess what you end up with? Shut down. 
People are getting bitchy, but I'm not sure what for. I'm just trying to stay within the city of San Francisco without paying $4,000 a month or getting stabbed, and I think it's a great uh, solution so far, he wrote. He being Christian Lewis, a tech startup founder, posted photos of his experience on the website formerly known as Twitter. No, you know I when you have to market like, hey, you're not going to get stabbed here. That's kind of a problem. Yeah. How about the marketing for that? Hey, sleep in this pod. You won't get stabbed. That's not necessarily true, by the way. You I don't actually, know, I know. <laughs> which it's one of these other nine <laughs> mofos are going to be stabby one night because their tech startup didn't get their VC. <sighs> Let's keep going. The next article did I throw? Yeah, I did. Okay, good. Here, I'll throw this one in there early. There you go, folks. The next article is over in hometown daily. Hybrid workers are coffee badging to spend less time in the office and dodge return to office mandates. Hybrid workers are dodging return to office mandates by coffee badging. The workplace trend involves showing up at the office for a few hours before leaving. The practice allows employees to catch up with colleagues while saving time and money. That right there is exactly what everybody should be doing. You want to swing by the office, catch up with other people who want to catch up with other people, and then you beat feet back out to wherever it is that you're most efficient and effective. Not everybody has to be babysat in an office. You know, you can crush it eight hours a day. And by the way, even that really irritates me. You get paid for a work product, not to simply grind away pounding big rocks into little rocks. This isn't slave labor, right? That gone are those days, right? We we have all agreed that that's not allowed, right? Yeah. Well, anyway, look at child labor being used in industrial complexes and whatever, all this other stuff, right? So everybody should be earning a certain wage. They do a certain thing, and. I, I want to smack anybody that says time to lean, time to clean. No, I am not here to clean and just grind away at whatever I do work product. If I am done in 20 hours, the benefit of me being done in 20 hours is that I've done all 40 hours of the assigned work in 20 hours. It doesn't open me up for fiscal for for work abuse of additional assignment of duties just because i'm better than the 40 hour per week employee anyway that's my rant for that anyway the workplace trend involves showing up in the office grabbing coffee and then leaving i think that it's a wholly smart way of working you claw back your work-life balance you show everybody that you're there your work product shows that you're actually there for the business. You're working, you're doing your gig. You know what? If it's 40 hours worth of, of work, which is what Six Sigma has been saying year after year, then why is it when I do 20 hours worth of work, which turns into 40 hours worth of work product, do I suddenly have to do 20 more hours work worth of work the equivalent of two people's jobs just because i'm better than the previous schmo 
Yeah, it's almost like you get penalized for being more productive. Right. Or efficient. Right. And, and then you get ridden for your either your work ethic or you're not a team player or whatever. But that's not what it's about. It's about work-life balance and, and me being able to have a soul instead of doing nothing but grinding away for somebody else's company to, to succeed. Um, and then you get asked at the end of that whole tirade, well, do you really want to be here? Yeah, for 20 hours worth of me actually working to create 40 hours worth of your benefit. Anyway, Beatrice Nolan over at businessinsider.com is the author of this and um, says the, the practice allows companies to catch up with colleagues and save time and money. Yeah, I would love to do this. You know, you just text everybody that's in your crew and you say, hey, I'm swinging by the office. What's up? You guys want to, you know, uh, banter about one of the projects or do you want to catch up on whatever questions you might have that you've been holding on to for face to face, that kind of a thing. You have a, a meeting in one of the meeting rooms and and then you bounce because you're always working with those people anyway, wherever they are. And, and some of us have people that are in other countries around the world for crying out loud and have zero problem with interacting with them. And it's not like they suddenly forget, oh my God, I had no idea that you actually exist because I haven't seen you in two years. Right, it's like every five minutes on whatever platform you're using. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the workplace trend involves showing up, right? Well, we're never really leaving the office. We're always there. Stylist reported on the trend this week and interviewed Liz Villani. The founder of hashtag be yourself at work and the hashtag I am global movement who referred to coffee badging as presentism or sorry, presenteeism in the most fleeting of methods, which is gobbledygook, really. People used the process as a way to swiftly get back to their default option of working at home, she said. I mean, at some point. Doesn't every employer realize every single employee wants to work from home, is happier working from home, maybe more productive working from home, I would say most probably are. Yeah, I mean, who wants to spend two hours in travel? Some people can't do it at work, uh, at home. They can't work at home because, you know, pets are crazy, kids spouse is working at home and it's just an untenable position whatever there's all kinds of people who can't do it you know i actually know someone who chooses to go into work they they decided that they want that desk job at the physical organization and i sit there and i go well no i don't want to be on the road for hours so i would rather hang out at the mayoral mansion in hometown. That doesn't mean that I am incapable of working them. So, but the benefit here is that I have all of the food, all of the drink, all of the comfort. I have air conditioning, safety and security. Um, if there is another person that is in the, uh, the work from home situation, then you have their camaraderie and that relationship 
Um, and if you ever need to be pulled into the office, it's a phone call or an email or a text away. And then you just race in, you have your meeting and you bounce back out. Your work product is what everybody should be keyed into. But for some reason, everybody, well, not everybody, just old school mentality about it is, well, we really want to see your face. No, you don't. You just want to babysit me. Anyway, and that's how I think it, whatever. Just look up digital nomads, people. Look up digital nomads. They crush it and they're sitting on a damn beach. Okay, let's keep on going. Everybody else is doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, not everybody can do it, I suppose, but I'll give it that old Harvard try. Rent-free in an Airbnb. The next article is over in the uh, Technology Today um, channel. Sorry, I was distracted because there's an extra tab that shouldn't have been there. Okay, let me throw this into the chat because I don't want to get anybody bent out of shape that I haven't done it yet. Uh, so NASA will reveal what OSIRIS-REx brought back from asteroid Bennu on Wednesday, hence the title for the segment, What Hath Bennu Birthed? <laughs> <laughs> Does Bennu sound like something from Star Wars to you? Oh yeah, it. Th this sounds it something... It might be something from Star Wars, I don't know, it just has that sound. This sounds like a, a supernatural entity, a, a god that's going to come and destroy us. NASA, you know, the wrath of Bennu. Well, yes. <laughs> so NASA will give the public a look at the asteroid sample brought back to Earth by OSIRIS-REx spacecraft next week. A live stream of the reveal is set for 11 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday, October 11th. Oh, that's a bummer. I couldn't, uh, maybe I can text them and, and ask them to move it to Tuesday at that time so that I can do it. I can demonstrate it to people because I don't have anything set up for Wednesday. Anyway, the capsule containing rocks and dust taken from the surface of the near earth asteroid Bennu touched down at a department of defense training site in the Utah desert on September 24th. And scientists have since been at work making their initial analyses. Oh God, I am so fighting the urge to make snarky comments about so many things falling from the sky and suddenly everybody. Anyway, let's just go over to the source Engadget.com. Cheyenne McDonald is the author. Huh? I... Anyway. Um, the space agency has scheduled a live stream for 11 a.m. Eastern to give a first look at the asteroid sample. I think this is pretty cool. I actually saw them deconstructing the pod um, to get to the sample, um, but I don't think that I saw the sample contents. I think that was still sealed up inside a container. I really want to see this, so I am going to kick everybody to the side and, and watch this. Um, this will be amazing. So it says in four days, we will be revealing the sample of asteroid Bennu collected from uh, OSIRIS-REx mission. Um, the OSIRIS-REx grabbed its sample from Bennu back in 2020 and spent the subsequent year and a half observing the asteroid from above before starting to make its way back to Earth in May 2021. 
Um, after its drop-off last month, the canister was brought to Houston, Texas to be opened in NASA's Johnson Space Center. OSIRIS-REx, on the other hand, is still in space, now heading to an asteroid called Apophis, which really is like a, a, a deity that is something like a, a, a death god or something like that, under a new mission named OSIRIS-APEX. Asteroid Bennu is estimated to be over 4.5 billion years old, meaning that its materials could hold clues to the formation of the solar system and how the building blocks of life made it to Earth. And a lot of um, the research so far is showing that um, asteroids are actually um, more often than not a composite of materials loosely held, well, somewhat loosely held together in that anything that shocks them actually breaks them into fragments. Um, so quite fascinating. Do you know about Apophis? Um, I know that it's on this really huge orbit and it's supposed to come precariously close to destroying Earth periodically. So it's the ancient Egyptian deity who embodied darkness and disorder and was the opponent of light and order. Yeah, so another god of death. Um. So I thought when you said that, I thought you were referring to the asteroid, not the god I know, itself. I didn't so. specify. I should have said the background or something. Gotcha. Um, so it's going to be neat, and I will be uh, watching that. And I can almost guarantee you that there's going to be an article that will be aggregated <laughs> for the show on Wednesday Yeah, we'll night. definitely have to do on Wednesday show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. All right, folks, that is it for tonight. So let's walk all the way back down Main Street to the welcome sign. We mash that button and it refreshes. And now we have a whole bunch of new articles. Um, Lifeboat news. Oh, Lifeboat. Lifeboat is a, a company about um, extending life and is uh, researches time and time travel. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about a Picasso painting or plurality of them to fetch $120 million? Amazon Starlink rival. Wow, there's going to be thousands of more little micro satellites up there. Great. Uh-oh, I hope they have parking spaces. Those little meters, you know, they have to sit right next to one of those meters. Otherwise, they get a ticket. Uh, That's right. Pretty big money. Oh God, I don't want to see that. I wonder if they're going to use Park Mobile app. Yeah, Park Mobile, or is it Park Mobile? How do you pronounce that? Is it Park Mobile or Park Mobile? I think it's, it's Park Mobile. But... Park Mobile. Okay, <laughs> that's funny. Oh, there's so much in uh, hometown. Go and check it out. Spider Woman 2099. And Spider-Man 2099 fan redesign puts a new spin on Miguel O'Hara. Big Brother 25. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm going to be... go out on a limb. If you're a show going on 25, maybe it's time for a new show. No, it's brilliant content. Come on. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it. We are all done for the night. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. That is running all the time. Merwat does not, and the AI does, but sometimes they power down to 
rest and recuperate their neurons from estimating the number four versus nine. You mean eight? Somewhere around there. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Bye-bye. Thank you.